Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. It's a bit like, you know, uh, turning up at your own funeral, you know, and, and you, you want to hear what people say about you. That's what I, that's why I do it. Okay, that's a a good one. That's my analogy for it. Let's get on with this podcast before my microphone really breaks. Okay, joining me, Ian McCourt, on today's One Football Podcast is Manu Dominguez. Hi, everyone. Hi, Ian. And uh, Joanna Bueno. Hello. So you already know we do a Premier League podcast with Dan Burke. That comes out early in the week. If you're listening to this, you already know that we do a World Euro one with myself each week. But you should also know we do the Women's Football Podcast now each week with Angelina Kelly. The second episode is out now. It's on this feed. If you want to get in touch with any of those podcasts, the email remains the same. And that is podcast at onefootball.com. Hi-ho, hi-ho, hi-ho. It's off to Spain we go. And today we want to we want to zero in on Real Madrid. Uh, they're knocked out of the cup by a, a, a third-tier side with only 10 men and, and that would suggest that something is rotten in the Santiago Bernabeu uh, but they did bounce back at the weekend with a four win over Alaves uh, myself and Joanna were sort of chatting about this man was it because Zidane wasn't on the bench yeah I wouldn't say that <laughs> I mean we're only but, half, we were only half joking about it <laughs> but also, also also I mean Zidane was on the bench in Alcoyano and they and they lost against a really team from the third division so I think that uh, don't have him in, in the match against Alaves probably was something better for, for some of Real Madrid players that it seems that they don't <laughs> like Zidane too much but we, let's go back to the win over Alaves at the weekend because I think it was significant uh, how important was it for Zidane and the club that they came back and won 4-1 yeah, it was really important, especially because they came from uh, this shameful loss against against Alcoyano. And yeah, already the media, you know what happened with the big teams, Real Madrid and Barcelona, when you lose a, an important match or against a small team, always the media talks about, yeah, what is going to happen in the future? I mean, the coach is not doing well. It's necessarily already a, cha- a big change in the team. So to to play the next game against Alaves and have a consistent victory away against a team that, for example, Alaves won in the first in the first match in, in Madrid uh, in November 2020. I think it was important for, for Real Madrid, especially for Zidane, and not only for the result, that at the end they won 1-4, one, one especially because the image that they showed in, in Vitoria was, was really good, really good. Modric played incredible, as he used to do during the season. Benzema did a good job too. And at least you are able to, let us say, to send away the ghost after Alcoyano's loss. And now the Real Madrid had a, a complete week to prepare the next match because they didn't have to play the knockout in the Copa del Rey. So I think it's it, it has been a really, really important important victory, as, as you say. What would have happened if they'd lost? Mm, probably the ghosts were going to stay there longer and especially really long because with a week with no matches during the week because Real Madrid didn't have to play Copa del Rey. Mm-hmm. Imagine what it could be for for Marca, Diario As to to have seven days in a row just writing about two Real Madrid losses against against Alcoyano and, and Alaves. So I don't think so that Zidane was going to be sacked. Oh. Actually, I never, as I think that Florentino is going to sack never Zidane because the relationship between them is really good and Zidane is a really important character important person in, in Real Madrid but yeah probably was gonna 
it was going to be something completely negative for, for Zidane and for to prepare the next matches. And maybe we have already seen Zidane three, three years ago after winning a Champions League. He just decided to leave because he's this kind of person. Like he, he, if, he, if he decides to take a, a decision like that, like to leave the club, he can do it whenever he wants. He has deserved this, this, this kind of privilege. Joanna, if you were uh, Florentino Perez and you're in charge of Real Madrid and they'd lost to this third division side and then lost to uh, Alaves, would you have sacked Zidane? I, I don't think he would have, like Manu said. He no, no, I'm putting you. Zidane. I'm putting you in the power yeah. position. Would you but, have done it? Yeah, this is the thing. I would have maybe talked to Zidane and say, "Hey, can we part ways amicably?" <laughs> oh, you would have got rid of him. Um, not get rid of him, but maybe uh, I don't know. It's a tough one because Zidane is. I mean, it's not like he's a bad coach. I mean, you can't be a bad coach. I mean, three Champions League in a row, and it wasn't just the players winning. I mean, it was a lot of Zidane as well. But uh, I think that he Zidane himself should take the decision to walk away at some point because this Real Madrid is not what we expect. And I think he lost the control of the team like he did mm. when um, he had that, you know, that other squad that was amazing and this. And now they're transitioning. And I think Zidane's role in the team is much about confidence and having confidence in the players and being united and I don't think he has that with this particular squad or not every player so I think it should be his decision maybe at the end of the season if they improve a little bit but to to walk away I'd like to see that you're ruthless with a club legend though and that you would just sack him that's pretty impressive uh, <laughs> Manu I, I was reading Marca during the weekend there was a suggestion uh, as, as Joanna has, has hinted at here that the Real Madrid dressing room is an unstable place right about now what do you think about that? I think it could be true uh, as, as Joanna said Zidane was a, a coach that uh, he managed really well when he started when he was winning like three champions in a row the, the, the dressing room and actually he's trying to keep his players as, as they are his players but not all of them at the end if you check the, the start 11 from, from Zidane that they played the, this season and the start 11 that Zidane used to play in 2000, uh, 2017, 2018. There are some names that still are on the squad and still are really, really important for Zinedine Zidane. Uh, Baran, Sergio Ramos, Casemiro, Modric, Tony Cross, or Karim Benzema, or even other ones like, like for example, Lucas, Lucas Vázquez. But what happened? That Zidane has this confidence on this these names on this uh, in these players, but what happened with the new ones? What happened with the other ones? I think that they realized that they are not going to have the possibility to be in the squad because Tidane never changed. Tidane is still giving all this confidence to Modric, Tony Cross, Casemiro, and even Marcelo. So Marcelo, he, he was playing a lot of matches when actually it was obvious that he was not able to play, and only because. Uh, Mendy probably is French and probably because he was asked for Zidane uh, Marcelo was out of the team so in my opinion the problem that Real Madrid has right now and especially it happens in the dressing room is the, the second team let us say the second team that the players that 
they don't use to play, they have in mind that they are not going to have the chance. And actually, if you have not a, a second team, a players on the bench that they are motivated, it's really, really difficult to to, to fight in a season like, like like this one with Champions League, Liga, Copa del Rey and matches every three days. Mm. Oh, it, it, the players that you mentioned are the ones that he's been relying on for so many years. Uh, the, the, I guess they're the old guard of, of Real Madrid. Should fans be worried that it's just uh, that team that are, you know, that are you know the tried and trusted players who are who are driving them to the, to victories of late. I would say a little bit. I mean, it's difficult to say if, if they should be worried or not because at the end you ask a Real Madrid fan about being worried to have all of the expectations in players like Tony Cross, Luka Modric, mm-hmm. Karim Benzema. It's why I'm going to be worried. I mean, they are they were the best and still they are showing that their performance are amazing. But this, as I as I as I said, I mean, you cannot win three trophies or you cannot win Champions League and La Liga only with 11 players or only with 10 players. You need the best of, of everyone. I remember the season that Zidane was able to win Liga and Champions League. Everyone can remind this second team that Zidane has at that, at that moment with Morata, with James Rodriguez, Lucas Vázquez playing uh, as well, but you have Gareth Bale, Cristiano Ronaldo. So the squad was impressive and Zidane was able to use every 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 player in, in the squad. And now... This thing is not happening. Players like Odegaard or Jovic, they, they, they don't play and they, they, they decide to leave. Then, for example, Vinicius, he was doing a really good job with Solari, but suddenly he dance arrive and says, sorry, but with me you are not going to play. He's playing really less minutes than before with Solari. What happened with Reguilón? What happened as well with mm-hmm. um, with Rodrigo Goes? It's so many names that that before they show that they could play in Real Madrid or they could have more minutes in Real Madrid. But it seems that Zidane has uh, his word, as you say, and, and he's not going to change. Joano, uh, is there any word from back in Brazil why Vinicius and Rodrigo are maybe not... Uh, is there anything from there as to why they're not doing as well as you, we know they can do? No, not really. I mean... Uh... I think in Brazil, people have the idea that Zidane doesn't give them as many opportunities as he should. They don't play every match, like Manu said. Sometimes they come in the second half or 15 minutes to go. And you see them, of course, they're not, you know, they're very young. So you can't expect them to play at a very high level every single match, especially when you play in Real Madrid and you face tough opponents in the Champions League or you're going to face, you know, Atletico, Barca, or even uh, other clubs in, in Spain that, are a big, you know, that have a good squad and they can face Real Madrid or can at least give them a little bit of trouble. But when you see them, you see, when they're at their best, you see them, they can be very decisive. They come in and they give an assist, they make it, they give a goal, they, they can be these uh, players that they were hired to be, but they need more opportunity. Does it disconnect there, Manu, isn't there, between the young players and, and Zidane? I wouldn't say I don't know if it's, there is not connection between them. I, in my opinion, is that Zidane has a really important connection with the other ones, and I have the feeling that he doesn't want to be the guy who decides that you don't play because maybe our relationship can be damaged. And I, 
Zidane knows who are the people who, who really has the, have the power in the dressing room. Sergio Ramos, Barán, Casemiro, Modric, Cross. And I think so that he doesn't want to change that and he doesn't want to to face against these kind of players to say sorry, but you need to rest, you need to play uh, less minutes. And that's why he doesn't give opportunities to the to the young players because, as Joanna said, Vinicius or Rodrigo, they were fundamental in Champions League in the matches against Inter de Milan. They they, they, they changed completely the match. Probably Zidane could be Real Madrid could be out of the Champions League if if Vinicius and Rodrigo didn't have this good performance against Inter de Milan. But after that, Zidane did give him five matches in a row, four matches in a row in order to, to show your level. You cannot pretend that, okay, I put you today and if today you you don't play well, uh, sorry, but uh, you are out of the team. You need give them this uh, confidence, give them this continuity to, to continue playing and and allow him to show their, their best level. Uh, I, I need to jump in right there. Mm, go because, for it. Yeah, Manu was saying... What Manu was saying reminded me 100% of Brazil in 2006. Brazil was the current world champion and they went to the World Cup thinking they were going to win everything because not only were they the current world champion and they had an amazing squad, but the players that played in 2002 and played well were even better now. They were Kaká, Ronaldinho, and then what actually happened is that the coach didn't have well, I think we can say the balls to put some of these players in the bench to put other players to play because they were in a better phase, in a better moment, uh, playing better. For example, Ronaldo was a bit fat and Adriano was in a way better moment than him and Adriano did not make it. He was in the bench. Uh, Robinho was a young guy and he was playing very well. He was in the bench. The two left back and right back, uh, the fullbacks, they were uh, Roberto Carlos and Cafu, who were, of course, you know, some of the best players we've ever seen in history but they were too old they weren't doing their best we had better players Zé Roberto was a way better left back than than um, than Roberto Carlos Juninho that used to play for Lyon was in a wonderful moment he left he led Lyon to seven league uh, titles in a row and he was in the bench because the coach didn't have the courage to come to these guys and say hey you know what you've done great you've you've made history you've won the World Cup you got Guys are some of the best of all times, but we have better guys, younger guys, fitter guys on the bench, and I'm gonna give them the chance. He didn't do that. Brazil thought they were gonna win the World Cup just because of the squad that they had, and they forgot to play football. In fairness to that Brazil team, they were knocked out by a pretty amazing performance from Zidane in the quarterfinals. That one, is one true. of the greatest individual performances I've ever seen. That is true, but Brazil didn't play in any of the matches like Brazil was winning in the first, in the group stage because you know they, they were in the group stage facing I don't know small, I don't even remember who we faced in I the think group it was stage, but Australia was one of the teams maybe, yeah, Australia, maybe Croatia I think Croatia and Japan maybe somebody like that was it yeah mm-hmm. and then I think we, we faced Ghana in the yeah, Ghana. round of 16 mm-hmm. so none of these uh, opponents you know played f- faced the f- were a real challenge to Brazil and France was not a real challenge up until that match either like oh, they that been, match, yeah, they, they had been poor up until that match that, that everything match changed with that match changed completely the French national team and Zidane because also our coach didn't believe Zidane either he thought Zidane was done and Zidane said you know what I can still play football and he did a mm-hmm. lot no Zidane had, had a, if I remember correctly and I could be wrong but I, I remember him having a pretty poor group stage and, and then and then sort of exploding in the knockout stages. 
against Spain, the first match. Well, there you go, Spain. (laughs) Thanks, Spain. (laughs) They won 3-1 with Zidane, Henry and Frank Ribéry scored against against Spain. Oh, Zidane got that late goal, I think, didn't he? Mm. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah, but also, as as Joanna said, the the football world works like that. And there are... uh, uh, a lot of stories like like this Brazil. We can remember as well Spain, the Spain that won the World Cup and the two Euros arrives to Brazil with the mm. same squad. Xavi Hernandez, Thicker Casillas, and what happened? Or even the Germany with Jack and Law, or even what happened with Fran Rijkaard and this thing with Ronaldinho, Deco, Samueleto, this privilege. But it's really difficult in to do this transition. And I think that is the main problem that that Zidane is gonna is, is having now and he's gonna have and it's the main problem that Guardiola was gonna have when he decided to leave Barcelona how do you do this transition when do you decide okay sorry but you have given me to me you have given to me all of the trophies but from now I cannot confide to you anymore because I think that you are not gonna play good it happens to every every big team in the history and in my opinion it's really really hard to have to, to be brave and also to have this this uh, yeah, these this balls, as as Joanna said, and also to say to your 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 players that they have given to you everything. Sorry, but from now you are gonna go to the bench. Or as Guardiola did when he arrives and Rijkaard was the was the coach, Ronaldinho and Deco, you should leave the team. It's it's really hard in in football to control that. Uh, Pep Guardiola saying goodbye to Barcelona uh, at that stage was one of the smartest decisions that was ever made in football. And you, Just and like have... Zidane leaving the cha- leaving Real Madrid after winning three Champions League in a row, I still don't know why he came back. Never go back to your ex, Joanna. That's this key rule yes. right there. Uh, can we talk a little bit about players' futures, Manu? Because there's a couple of them up in the air at the moment. Uh, namely, Ramos, still no contract signed at the time of recording, let's say. Or has he? No, still no contract signed. And yeah, the time is going. We will see his his contract uh, expires at, at the end of the season in June. Why are they letting it run down, Manu? It seems like th- that would be the first person that they would want to tie down, given that he pretty much embodies the entire club. In my opinion, with Ramos, is always happening the same. He's always waiting till the end of the contract to try to put pressure on Real Madrid because you have to remember in 2014 or 2015 when he says that he had a really amazing offer from Manchester United. Then we had the same Ramos story with an offer from China that he could he mm. had to, to celebrate a press conference to say that, yeah, sorry, I would play for free in Real Madrid, but actually nobody believes that. <laughs> and, and I now, love when they say they play for free, yeah. And now it's ha- we are having the same. He wants to put pressure on Florentino Perez to try to show him, okay, I'm not going to earn less money than Benzema. I'm not going to earn less money than Alaba in case that Alaba games. And also I want to sign more than one year contract. Florentino has a kind of a kind of um, rules that players older than 32 years old, they used to sign one year, one year, one year. And Ramos wants already two because he thinks that he's at the last of his career. So he wants to do have already at least two years contract with a top, top salary. And Florentino, he's the he's the he's the boss. He's he's the god in, in Santiago Bernabeu and he says, Sorry, Sergio Ramos, but now with COVID we don't think so that we could offer you more than two years. And that's the situation now. They are we have two big egos, Florentino, Sergio Ramos, Sergio Ramos, Florentino, and the the people who are who are suffering actually right now is is Real Madrid fans. Mm, I'm on Team Ramos. Just to get to get that out there. Me uh, too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Rafael Varane. He's been linked with a move away. No. 
Yeah, yeah, I have read rumors, especially Premier League is thinking about mm. him, also PSG, like always. But always PSG. <laughs> but I think Barang is really have a really good relationship with Zinedine Zidane. So as Zidane stays in Real Madrid, I don't think so. Barang will will move. And also, I don't really see right now teams so powerful economically because of the COVID able to pace what Real Madrid is going to demand from, yeah. from Rafael Barra. Okay. Uh, Karim Benzema is going back to Lyon, it says here. No? Yeah, he says he says that he would like. So he had said <laughs> that a couple of times that he would like to retire in, in France. Even the Lyon coach says if Benzema is not happy in Real Madrid, of course, he's more than welcome to come back to Lyon. But yeah, I don't think so that we will see Zidane, uh, Benzema in League One. So I don't think so that our users in one football are going to be able to see uh, Benzema in Brazil uh, for free till probably uh, two years. Look at that. What a nice plug there by Manu, eh? Uh, why was Odegaard allowed to leave, Manu? Yeah, actually, we come back to the same topic. No, uh, Zidane doesn't trust him. Okay. Zidane demand him, de- demand, demanded him when he was in Real Sociedad like, because he had two years long contract but that's true because he wanted Real to stay Sociedad. at Sociedad right yeah because he wanted to play in Europe with, mm. with Real Sociedad and what Zidane said was like no Edgar, I need you I'm going to give you minutes you're going to be important for me and after two weeks probably Zidane saw something that he didn't like from, from Odegaard and he disappeared from the team and he's 20 years old 21 years old of course he wanna play and if he cannot do it in Real Madrid he's gonna do it in London in San Sebastián or or whenever uh, uh, but at the end it's again Zidane didn't manage well the situation do you think he managed well the situation with Jovic who's already made a pretty decent impact on the Bundesliga in my opinion neither because he's young your team spent 60 millions uh, in that player and a lot of I understand a lot of people who say yeah the coach should look for the best for the for the team the, the results and so on but at the, at the at the end you are an employee for a football club who spent 60 million in a player you have to give them chance in order to to do that player profitable and finally he didn't Jovic must go away and if Real Madrid is lucky, Jovic is going to do a good job. But imagine that Jovic doesn't do a good job away neither. Mm-hmm. Real Madrid is going to lose 6 million euros and Zidane didn't, didn't help to the club to, to try to make that, that player uh, a good business for, for the team. So I don't think so that he did a, uh, a good work with him because did Jovic play four or five matches in a row? No, at the end it's always Benzema, 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 Benzema. That's why even Iguain decided to leave before, but when Zidane was not the coach, but even another player like Mayoral had to leave too. So mm. it's not possible to compete uh, against Benzema as it happened with Luis Suarez in Barcelona. Okay, final, final question. What do we make of the links between the club and uh, Marcelo G- uh, Gallardo? No, nothing? Y- no, yeah, I, I, I so the source was SPM. Also, SPM used to be good connected with River Play. But as far as I know, I have spoken with different journalists who used to follow River Play. There is not at all offer from from Real Madrid to Marcelo Gallardo. Marcelo Gallardo is keen to join Europe as soon as possible. Probably is going to do it at the end of the year because he, or even this summer, but most probably at the end of the year, he want to take a kind of break in, in Argentina. And as far as I know, he will he will love to to jump to League One, where he was a really good player in Paris and in Monaco. Um, I don't know why, but I think so that probably he's going to have the offer from from Monaco as as soon as he decides to leave River Plate. Well, there you go. That's a nice little. That? That's a little, nice little info there for our listeners. Huh? I don't think uh, Niko Kovac is leaving Monaco anytime soon. So. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, that's true. They won 16 out of the last, I think, 18 points that they fought for. So yeah, the, the connection between between Gallardo and the French teams is is that one. Also, I don't think so that it, it's, it's going to be a really big jump for, for Gallardo to, to train a team like PSG with a, a lot of stars. So he's waiting for the option to train in, in, in the other big team in France, in Monaco. That's true that actually Monaco is uh, one of the top teams in, in Ligue 1, doing really good with, with Ben Yedder and, and Nico Kovac. But he's waiting for, for that chance. But as I told you, as, uh, as, I, have, as, as I told you and as I know, he... he pretends to, to stay at least till till the end of 2021 in, in Argentina. We'd be happy to welcome him in Flamengo if he wants to, you know, just switch countries but not continents. Well, it's it's only up the road really, isn't it? Yeah, it's, you it know, is. It's not that far. I've made, I've made the where are Flamengo? Rio. Yeah, I've made the journey from Rio to, to Buenos Aires. It's not that far. You could do it. Easily. Exactly. You commute. Um, anyway, uh, we, Joanna, it's it's Copa Copa Libertadores time. Yes. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the. Do you, you know that song Copacabana? Yeah. That I just realised the other day that wasn't written about the, the Brazilian Copacabana. I think it was written about the club, right? Mm, I just realised that. Yeah. But there you go. That's not in any way interesting. And then I was going to ask about: uh, <laughs> Did you know any girls from Impanima? <laughs> Uh, I was a girl from Ipanema for a while. Well, there you go. All right, yeah, I so lived there. <laughs> there you go. That suits. Okay, that's our Brazilian cliches out of the way. Uh, how exciting is it to have two Brazilian teams in the final? In the Maracanã, I must that's say. That's pretty cool, right? That is pretty cool. What is not cool is the pandemic and the fact that we're not going to have fans in the stadium. But, I mean, actually, we are going to have a few fans. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, some of the clubs, the cl- both clubs got, like, entitled to invite up until a certain number of people. So they uh, split a few tickets with a few fans, but mostly uh, just sponsors and uh, actually some employees. And Santos is bringing some of the players that won the Libertadores back in 62-63. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's pretty nice. I mean, of all the stadiums in the world where you can probably social distance, the Maracanã has got to be, it's got to be up there. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the Rio government said that they could have up to 10% of the stadium, but then uh, the Comebol didn't think that was wise enough because it wasn't because 10% of Maracanã is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but then they decided to split a few tickets with, you know, a few guests or uh, f- uh, family from the players. So there's going to be a few people. But, you know, not fans, not a whole stadium. Right. But nevertheless, it is exciting to have a final, a one-match final. You know, it's the second time that Libertadores has a one-match final. So much better than a two-match final. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I don't know. It's just, it's been, I think, traditional for so long in South American football to have two ways. But it's going to be actually the fourth final in Maracanã because they had a final in 63 with Santos when they played Boca Juniors. Uh, although Santos is not from Rio, but, you know, Maracanã was the biggest stadium in the world. So why not play there with the biggest team in the world at the moment? Mm-hmm. Um, 81, Flamengo played the final there. Did they win? They won, okay. yes. It was the the first win in Libertadores, uh, the first title for Flamengo. And 2008, Fluminense played the final there, but I, and I was there, actually. My, my Fluminense? Your Fluminense, oh. yeah. And I was there, actually, but they lost. Oh, I was devastated that day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's pretty, like, I don't know, symbolic to have a 
uh, Libertadores final Americana, and luckily enough with two Brazilian teams. That's mm. really pretty cool. Uh, is, is the country generally excited about that, or that, that is it? You know, are you so divided along club lines that it doesn't really matter? No, people are very excited about that. Yeah, but you know, as I said, no fans, not that much. But and and the two teams, they're both from São Paulo, so they're not from Rio. If they were any of them were from oh, Rio. Yeah. It would be way more exciting, um, but it, it, it's it is it, it is a big event in Brazil. Okay, um, the, the, the two teams. So I was like, I would say two teams from Brazil. Is that a reflection of just how much stronger the league is than the rest of South America? I guess maybe it is. It's not exactly the league itself, but I think some of the teams in the league are much stronger than any other team in South America, or maybe they have like one, two. I would say top maybe four rivals in all of South America. Mm. You know, River Plate and Boca Juniors, they're always strong teams and they have been very strong for a few years now, River Plate, and they did a, a, a Libertadores final a few years ago. And River Plate was in the final last year as well. And I, but in Brazil, we have about maybe six or a little bit more, maybe eight teams that are very strong. They're always fighting for the title and they're, well, I wouldn't say that they are all of them financially strong because some of them, even though they have big squads with big salaries, they are full of bets. But, you know, that doesn't stop Real Madrid or Barcelona from being a big team, right? <laughs> but yeah, in Brazil, you have some teams that are way far ahead of any other team in South America. And Palmeiras is definitely one of that. Uh, Santos is a bit of a, a surprise to be there because even though it's a very traditional club and it does have a good squad, it's faced a lot of trouble, it faced a lot of problems throughout the season. They have lots of debts. They they couldn't really hire anyone, kind of like the Chelsea punishment, the mm. sanction. And they had the, the their president was impeached, it was a big, big mess. And they're not one of these clubs that I would say is always fighting for a title. They're very, very unstable. But Palmeiras is definitely one of these. Okay. Uh, I mean, with, with respect to their seasons, uh, Palmeiras doing slightly better. With yes. f- fifth in the table, Santos down in 10th. Exactly. Fifth yeah. in the table, also in the final for the Brazil Cup against Grêmio. Yeah, which is going to be very, very exciting as well. So Palmeiras can actually win. I mean, now they're a bit further down the table. Well, not down the table. You said fifth, but mm-hmm. they're 10 points away from the first place. And we have six match days to go. So they're a bit further away from the title of the Brasileirão because mostly they, I think they are already thinking of Libertadores and Copa do Brasil. But, you know, they could have won not only the treble, but the four, how do you say that when it's fourth? titles for oh, the quadruple <laughs> the quadruple mm-hmm. because they won the paulista the state tournament which is the first tournament of the season in brazil ah, that doesn't count it doesn't really count but you know at the, <laughs> at, the, at the end of the year you can say you won it all because these are these are all the titles that you can you can win so yeah they 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 are a bit further ahead they, they are a better team i think than santos but you know it's a it's a one match game it's a one match final so that's true have they, have they faced each other already this season 
they faced each other yeah they faced each other in the in the Paulista mm-hmm. and they faced each other in the Brasileirão but oh, I think so they know each other very well then of course if they play yeah. in the Paulista together yeah but I think last time that they faced each other in the Brasileirão Santos had like lots of COVID cases in the squad so they used kind of like a beat squad with lots of under 20 team players and they actually won oh yeah yeah but yeah, they faced each other a few times. Okay, um, we know a little bit about Santos and their pedigree in the competition. Um, I, I, do you have Palmeiras got it? Have they got a decent pedigree throughout it? Palmeiras won the Libertadores only once, and Santos won it three times and has been in another, at least that I remember, another final. Uh, Palmeiras won it in 99, and then they faced ah, Man United yeah, in yeah. the Club World Cup, remember? Of course, yes, I do. Which you were at. <laughs> Didn't what you, sorry didn't you attend this this oh the, no no that was the year before uh, i attended the, in 2000 that okay. was 99 oh, okay. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah so i can't keep up with all of that <laughs> yeah so they won the the libertadores only once and actually they lost that match to man united so they've never been world champion and in brazil it's very important the club broke up i know yeah. that european teams don't give a shit about the club world mm. cup they just won the champions league but in brazil it feels a little bit like you're the underdog and you're gonna beat the European champion so they make it a big deal well yeah nobody cares about this anywhere unless maybe in Spain Manu do they care about it in Spain no, actually, actually <laughs> look at his response. Yeah. We, we care if we lose. If we lose, we care because we know that we are going to lose against a team that it's not from Europe, and we consider it always the European football like best one to, to the other continent. So if we lose, it's like yeah, what we did. I mean, we cannot lose against against those teams. But if we win, it's like we we have to win. So uh, that's that that's the topic. <laughs> Yeah, but in Brazil, it's a really big deal. So I think Palmeiras is more of a, like, because also they're going to change the format of the Club World Cup next year, and they're going to have more clubs. Yes. Oh, more clubs? No. Yeah, and more European clubs as well. So that's going to make it more difficult for the South American ones. So this is like Palmeiras' last chance to win a Club World Cup, and I think they're very much looking forward to that. Okay, any uh, any sort of major injuries ahead of the final? They do have some injuries, but I wouldn't say they're major injuries. Some of these players that were in, that are injured now, they have been injured like most of the season or at least the last six months. It was like ACL or some ligaments. Mm-hmm. So I, these are not going to make such a big difference at this at the moment. So okay. although Santos does have one player that um, he tested positive, he, he is already better, but he's still testing positive for COVID. And we still don't know if he's going to play or not. He is in Rio with the rest of the team just waiting to you know do another test test negative and maybe he's going to be in the pitch oh, imagine how annoying that would be if you're fit and ready to play in the biggest game of the season and then COVID strikes down oh yeah. that would be annoying okay uh, where, where do we see it being won or lost who are going to be the key players who, who should people be looking out for because the final it's, it's Saturday we neglected to say isn't it yes the final is Saturday um, and what I time what time do people need to be up to watch it Oh my God! I don't know. I think it's like nine o'clock in Brazil, maybe. Okay. I'll, I'll, so I'll check. I'll check that out. You you tell us who's going to be the most interesting people to watch out for. Yeah. So we have uh, in Santos, which is I think Santos doesn't have such a big. So it's the weaker squad compared to Palmeiras, but it's not exactly weak. I would say look out for Marinho. 
he's already like 30 31 years old he's a striker and he is amazing Ooh. not only is he amazing but he is also quite a character like his match post-match interviews are great uh his social media is great you have lots of fun with him and he's kind of like the dribbler he has a great vision of the match he can give that one amazing pass he's not so much of a great scorer okay like yeah, he's not the top scorer of the team, but he's really, really good. And in Palmeiras, uh, Palmeiras is, has more money than Santos, so therefore, you know, better players. But also, the goalkeeper is one of the best players in Brazil at the moment, uh, Weverton. And also, I would say Palmeiras has probably the man of the Libertadores. See, the best player of Libertadores, who is Rony. He's mm. also a very good striker. And you remember Luis Adriano that used to play oh, for Shakhtar in yeah, Milan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in a great phase and he's been scoring goals after goals after goals. And now he's more mature and more developed as a player than he was when he was in Europe. So I think he's much, much better player now. And I don't doubt that these guys, uh, at least Luis Adriano and Honey, they're going to move to Europe after the end of the season. Oh, and I was just I was just wondering about uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it as he as you pronounce it Honey because uh, he's 25 he's had an okay career I guess so far and I was wondering whether he is good enough to 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 move to Europe yeah the thing is sometimes they don't get players don't get a lot of chance in Brazil the squads they don't really have 20 23 players sometimes they have 40 players in the squad which is a consequence of bad management of the clubs Mm -hmm. and he didn't have a lot of uh, see a lot of opportunities in Palmeiras up until this year and he really took the opportunities and he's been showing himself a really good player he's been very decisive and especially in Libertadores he's been amazing Mm. but but Palmeiras also have they have really good academy in Brazil they're known for having a really good academy and young players and they have two players that might leave the club so maybe they're gonna hold on to Luis Adriano and Honey because Gabriel Menino and Gabriel Veron to Gabriel they you know they're 20 years old 18 years old and I think European clubs like this 20 year olds more than they like the 25 so very promising very good players extremely talented and maybe these are the ones leaving the club at the next summer okay um, let's get a pred- it's, it, by the way it's 9 9 p.m. Uh, uh, Central European time on Saturday evening should you wish to watch it um, and Joanna's going to tell you who's going to win it's, well, it's Palmeiras, isn't it? Palmeiras is my favorite to win. And I think it was everyone's favorite to win up until the semifinals. In the semifinals, Palmeiras played a wonderful match against River in the first one and a terrible in the second one because they thought they were already through. And Santos played two really good matches against Boca and Santos really improved throughout the season and showed themselves a little bit more stable. So every time I talk to, you know, the Brazilian desk in one football or any other fans, they all say Santos. I'm the only one saying Palmeiras here. So. Oh, okay. Manu, did you want to make a prediction too or are you good? Mm, yeah, I was really impressed with Santos in the second match against Boca Junior. Especially, yes, Soteldo did an amazing goal, and mm. I used to follow him because he's from from Venezuela. So, yeah, just to change a little bit, I, I would go for for Santos. Okay, thank you very much, people. That was lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ian.
So after a couple of missed episodes, we're back to our short history of this time with Thomas Bourguignon and FC Mets. Now, Thomas, when we were talking about this beforehand, you literally said you were good to go for two hours. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think you might have a lot to say on this one. But let, let's start off with the, the standard question. Why Mets? What got you behind them? Yeah, so Jan, how, how many hours do we have? Uh, we well, I got to do other things in the office, <laughs> so the <laughs> virtual office. So we, we we don't have that many hours, uh, uh, but maybe maybe twenty, maybe thirty minutes. Wow, that's gonna be difficult for me to to give you all my my knowledge and my love okay. of FCMS in Did, only twenty to thirty minutes. But I'm gonna try. You're I'm a bit like you're a bit like Ryan Adams. You need like a strong editor to your work. So I'll I'll try act as that editor, and we'll just see how we'll see how far we get. Yes, yes. Please uh, keep me focused <laughs> on, on, on the subject. So so why FCMS? Uh, I, I could give you dozens of uh, of good reasons. First of all, because I was born and raised in in Mess. <laughs> Uh, we pronounce it mess, actually. Okay. Uh, but Thank, don't thanks, worry. For the, thanks for the correction. Correcting for the, no, correction. It, it, the, the, the spelling is M-E-T-Z, and mm. uh, most French people uh, pronounce it the German way, which is Metz. But in Metz, we are the only people pronouncing it Mess, and we are very proud of that because of the Latin origin of the name Messina. So uh, I am. Uh, it's my mission on Earth to tell people it's pronounced Mess. I can see where this short history is going already. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So why Mess? Because I, first of all, I was born and raised in Mess. I grew up basically one kilometer away from the stadium. I grew up with the with the lights of the stadium mm-hmm. uh, reflecting in my in my uh, in my bedroom. Uh, I was following the games. I was listening to the radio in my in my uh, in my childhood bedroom uh, and looking at the lights of the stadium. I, I could hear the chants uh, coming from the stadium. I, I knew when a goal had been scored for us or for the, the opposite team before the, 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 the journalist on the radio uh, said it. So, you know, th- there is this childhood link uh, with, with that club, with that stadium. I also played uh, for that team, uh, for that club. For, Wait, what? Uh, through, I played. I played for that team for, for three seasons. Uh, but uh, I was so good that the coach at the end of the third season, the coach uh, asked my mother to, to come and told my mother in front of me, uh, ma'am, madam, uh, I think your, your, your kid should uh, uh, switch to another sport. <laughs> you, can, you can imagine the shock for, <laughs> for a 10 years old uh, guy. Anyway, so that was the, the end of my of my dream of becoming a professional player at FCMS. But now the the the, the true reason uh, I, I I fell in love with the club is that I fell in love with a girl. Uh, I was I was six years old, and uh, there was this beautiful blonde girl in my in my in my classroom, and she was uh, called Natasha. Okay. And typical uh, typical French name. Typical French name, but I. And listen to the to the rest of the story. So she was the she is the the daughter of a of a of a professional uh, player at FCMS back then, uh-huh. and uh, I won't say the name the last name because the guy today is the assistant coach in one of the top league clubs. Uh, so it's kind of easy to to find his last name on- online. 
and I was I was basically I was impressed. I was impressed by the girl. I was impressed by the father. I wanted to to know everything about uh, FCMS, about football, and I was also impressed because from time to time there were there were also other professional footballers coming to uh, our school to waiting for her uh, to to greet her like uh, one of the guys was uh, Luc Sonor you probably never heard of him but he was a French international he played for Ice Monaco at that time and he was a French French champion with Ice Monaco so and it was before the internet right it, it was before the internet it was before the pay tv so i would recognize those players because i had the panini uh, albums. Oh, yeah, and yeah, I was yeah. recog- recognizing all those guys. Uh, I was impressed. You know, I was really impressed. And once she also invited me to her birthday, and I will always remember the scene. Her father was uh, sitting in the in the living room, watching a game with Bernard Lama. Uh, Bernard Lama, who, uh, who, who became the, the legendary uh, goalkeeper of Paris Saint-Germain, of the French national team. Uh, he became world champion. And I've got all these memories in my, in, my, in my head. I just remember that I wanted to impress the girl, so I, I read everything about FCMS. I read everything about football. I was talking football to her. I think she didn't care at all. It didn't, it didn't work uh, to, to impress her, but at least I, I fell in love with that club and with football. Uh, and it has been like this for the past 30 years and more, more than 30 years now. Wow. That's, that's quite the intro. So I, I guess as a child, then you're going to the games as well? Yes, and uh, that's another another story because there is a strong link between the club and um, the how do you call it the, the steel industry mm. uh, because in in the the area in the eastern part of France there used to be mines and also uh, steel industry and one of the the main sponsor of the club was uh, became Arcelor perhaps you go, you know a metal metal mm-hmm. steel mm-hmm. Uh, it was the company before that and my father was an engineer for that uh, for that company and he actually got hired by the current president of uh, FCMS and he recently told me that the first games he, he brought me he brought me to the stadium when I was I don't know six seven years old and the first games I saw at the stadium I was on the knees of the current president of the club and uh, I, I wow. wish he, he had he had told me that before like I could perhaps I don't know today if I had knew that before I could have uh, perhaps uh, socialized with the president and perhaps I could work at FCMS today. <laughs> Rather than with me at one football. Um, exactly. <laughs> it's it, it, like growing up, I sort of had a sort of similar story with Derry. You know, there was a kind of family connection to it and everything like that. It, like how how big were Mets then when you were growing up? Were they, I guess they're a league on club, but are they like, are they dominating the league or, or, or where are they? How are they but, doing? But that's, that's the, that's the good thing about that club itself. Mess is a, is a, is a middle size city. It's not big. It's not rich, but this club, uh, has always been, it's an historical club of Ligue 1, which has produced many, many talented players. And we can uh, talk about it a bit later. And it has been, it never became champion. Uh, it won two French Cups and one League Cup. So the, the, the records are quite, you know, uh, limited. But, uh, and I had the chance to, to start loving that club and to start loving football during the best period 
of the club, which which is the the late 80s and the 90s. The club was progressing every season. Uh, we were always playing in the first half of the of the of the of the league, and every season we were gaining one two spots till. The, the the holy season for every FCMS fan, which is the, the season 1997-1998, where we we almost uh, won the won the, the title. We we finished first uh, with with the same number of points as uh, Racing Club de Lens. Unfortunately, we lost the title for five goals. Uh, the the decision was made like uh, through the goal average, and uh, Lance had a better goal average than FCMS for five goals. And but that's a good example of the a good symbol of that club is that it 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 has always been difficult for us. It's a small club. Everything has been difficult. You when you when you support when you when you cheer for that club, you get more disappointment and sadness than joy but that night even if we we finished second and and lost the 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 the, the title we were happy we were happy because we were very proud of that team but that gives you also an idea of that club which is it's a small club like uh, we finished second and we are proud and uh, and that's it and that's enough for us I think in in that season and I could be wrong here I could be misremembering this but I think Robert Pires was in the was in the team that year was he? Exactly and that's that's also the, the the good symbol of my teenage years like we we followed and we saw the the this player growing up uh, at the he, he was not he, he was not produced at the FCMS academy he mm. played in in Reims in a, in a small club in Reims but he joined FCMS very young and basically started his uh, professional career at FCMS and and we saw uh, him becoming a great player he become uh, he became a french international uh with the fcms jersey uh, on his shoulder so we were we were very proud and he's still uh, like the 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 wonder kid of uh, of fcms for every every fcms fan uh, we, so you've you've mentioned the academy in passing so far. So I think we should, that's where we need to dig into next because that is uh, essentially one of the most uh, amazing aspects of the club's history, right? Exactly, exactly. Because so uh, as I said, during the nineties, we produced uh, Robert Pires, and also at the end of the nineties, Luisa. Uh, beginning of the year 2000, the club uh, produces Emmanuel Adebayor, uh, and we also launched the professional career of, uh, of um, uh, Franck Ribéry. And at that point, during the year 2004-2005, the club is struggling more and more, struggling financially, and uh, they seal a partnership with an academy in Senegal, which is called uh, Generation Foot. And over the years, that partnership uh, went on to to, to be very successful. And the players like uh, Sadio Mane, like Diafra Sacco, like Papi Sissé, Mm. like Ismail Assar. Uh, Today, we had Abib Diallo until uh, last summer. And today we have uh, uh, Ibrahim Anyan. 
they started their career uh, at FCMS. They, they were, their academy was in Senegal, but they, they, they finished their, their um, academy at MES and they started their professional career in MES. So that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's amazing. And I, I also forgot to mention that in the late uh, 2000, we also uh, produced uh, Miralem Pjanic, uh, in our own academy, we also produced Bunassar, who is now playing at uh, at Bayern Munich. And uh, the amazing thing, uh, and we also produced Kalidou Koulibaly, one of the. That was the one I was gonna I was gonna mention. But was was Sylvan Viltort there as well? At some stage. Sorry. Was Viltort there at some stage? <laughs> yeah, he finished his career at uh, FC. Ah, okay. And uh, the story is that he enjoyed the nightclubs in Luxembourg. That's why he, he ah. wanted to stay at, uh, at <laughs> But uh, no, we, we had the, the late Sylvain Viltort. But yeah, go, going back to that academy, what is amazing is that we never uh, benefited on the sporting side, on the sporting aspect. Unfortunately, we were always struggling to stay in league 1 so we were falling in league 2 and so we had to to sell our best player that's what happened with Miralem Pjalnic he only played one season with us we had to sell him at a at a bargain price to Olympique Lyonnais to save the club and the worst is, is in the season 2011-2012. Imagine we are in League 2. We have been in League 2 for several seasons already. We are struggling to get back to Ligue 1. We launch in League 2, we launch Kalidou Koulibaly, who is 19 years old, is our central defender. We have Sadio Mane uh, on the wing. And unfortunately, we finished uh, in we are relegated to the third division at the end of the season. And that's that's a financial disaster because there is there are no revenues in third division and that summer uh, Red Bull Salzburg offers us 3.5 million euros for Sadio Mane and those 3.5 million euros they basically save the club they save the club for bankruptcy so we had to sell Sadio Mane and when you see uh, what Sadio Mane, who he became later on, what he is the he was named a best African player. Uh, I think it was last season. It's amazing. It's amazing to think that that guy started at Mess, and unfortunately, we we only saw him for one season. Same for for Kalidou Koulibaly. We only enjoyed that guy for one one point five season, and it was in League Two, not even in League One. Uh, Mane, uh, I'm guessing, came through the Academy Generation Foot, right? Yes, he okay. came from Generation Foot in Senegal. But Kalidou Koulibaly, who plays for Senegal, actually was born uh, close to Metz. So he was born in France and uh, and, and uh, was at the FCMS Academy in France, but uh, today plays for Senegal. So all of these great players and never really made anything with it. No, no, ex- except in except getting back to League One, or uh, yeah, and and today we have also a, a nice group of. We have this hope for for today that uh, so last season we we were back to League One and we managed to finish fifteen before the season got uh, got uh, or do you say stopped mm-hmm. by by Corona. So we we maintained we we saved our spot in League One and we were really happy. And this season. We are playing better and better. Today we are uh, uh, ranked eighth in the table. We are quite close to the European spots. And everybody, despite the fact that 
at least five of our starters are injured. So what is amazing is this group of players that we, we are seeing right now is, is developing, is getting better and better game after game. And there are great hopes. There are great hopes for the, for the future that they, we can leave some good seasons as we experienced in the 1990s. And uh, there are players like uh, Farid Boulaya, which is uh, our number 10 old-fashioned uh, number 10. Uh, there is also Pap uh, Matarsar, uh, which is uh, our uh, the latest product of the Generation Foot Academy. He's only 18 years old, a box-to-box uh, midfielder. He's probably going to be a big name in football in the coming years. We have a, a great uh, uh, goalkeeper, Alexandre Ukija, uh, 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 Algerian international. And we have also two very good um, uh, um, how do you call it? Right wing? Uh, no. Um, ah. How do you call it? Back, uh, back full, right? Full back. Full back, sorry. Mm-hmm. Full back on the right side. It's uh, Fabien Santons, uh, which is uh, amazing. He has the record of interceptions uh, among all the, the top five uh, um, uh, leagues in Europe. It's very underrated, but I'm sure that he's going to play for, for a bigger club in the, in the coming years. Some people say he could have a future in the French national team in the in the in the years to come. And on the on the left uh, on the left side we have Mathieu Udol, who is a fighter. Uh, yeah, he broke his knee four times over the past three seasons, but came back each time, and he's he's really good. Just looking at the makeup of the squad here, you've got French in there, you've got Cote d'Ivoire players in there, you've got Guineans, uh, you've got Belgians, you've got Cape Verdean players in there. Yeah, it, it seems like Metz is like that, like almost like France, like that melting pot of France, just in one squad, just completely composed like that. Is that typical of their history? Uh, and. Typical of the history, yes and no, because you have to know that a mess so is located in Lorraine. As I said, it's a, it's a blue blue color area in France with the mines, with the, the steel industry. And it has always been a land of immigration. So there has been the Italian, Spanish, Portuguese, North African immigration. We can, uh, we can talk about the history of Michel Platini, for instance, who comes from the same area and could have played for FCMS. So you have all this uh, European and North African immigration first. And then over the past 20 years, FCMS, because also of the, 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 the development of, um, of, uh, of football business, um, it has been more and more expensive to to get the best French players or the best European talents. And it was impossible for FCMS to get those young talents anymore, uh, especially after the Bosman rule. Mm -hmm. So they they explored new ideas of partnership. And there was this natural link with Africa and especially with Senegal. There has been a strong link between uh, between the club and Senegal since the 1980s with a player called Jules Bocandé. So there was this historical link also with countries like Cameroon. We launched the career of Rigobert Song in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in Europe. We had Jacques Songo, we had Patrick Mboma uh, at FCMS. So there has always been strong links between MES and, and Africa. And naturally, this partnership with uh, Generation Foot basically made it even stronger because now we are relying a lot, uh, and it's, it's true, we are relying a lot on those African talents uh, in, in our squad. Uh, why wasn't 
Michel Platini uh, a Mets player. <laughs> so that's a that's a great story. There is this a true is this is this a true story? Because I heard there's one story that centers around the size of his ass, right? Exactly. And the problem of a story is that you always have two versions of the of the same story. So just I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a, some context here. Okay. Michel Platini of of Italian heritage. There is, as I said, there was a, there is a lot of uh, a big Italian community in in Lorraine and he was born and raised in a village called Jeff. Jeff is exactly at the same distance between Metz and Nancy. Nancy is our arch rival. Mm. It's the worst enemy of uh, the, the the two clubs uh, hate each other and Michel Platini and his father Aldo Platini wanted Aldo Platini was a FCMS fan and he wanted Michel Platini to play for FCMS. So at the age of uh, I think he was uh, 14 or 15, FC, uh, Michel Platini came to uh, to to Metz to to take a, a test to be tested uh, at the club. And so the Michel Platini version is that there was a, a doctor at the club who um, who said that he, he or do you call it he. He performed an exam on Michel Platini and he found that uh, Michel Platini was suffering from a heart condition. And okay. he told Michel Platini and his father, I'm sorry, but your son is unfit for, uh, for professional uh, football. He won't make uh, a, a professional career. And, uh, it's, it's, and Michel Platini, uh, what do you say? He never forgot that. And he, 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 he says that story in a, in a documentary for his 50th birthday. He said, so that, that doctor told me I was unfit for professional football. Then I went to play for Nancy. I went to play for Ice Saint-Etienne. I went to play for Juventus. And no doctor ever found any problem with my heart. So that's uh, the, the story of Michel Platini. And the story of uh, the, the legendary president of FCMS, uh, his name is Carlo Molinari, once again with uh, Italian uh, heritage, he said that basically they were not impressed. They were not impressed by his uh, by Michel Platini test. And some of the scouts uh, told uh, Carlo Molinari, you know what, this this young guy has a big ass, meaning he's, he, he doesn't move very quickly. He's, he's not tall enough. He's not physical enough. He's not impressive. He just has a big ass. So that's that's the sentence. When When Carlo Molinari heard that sentence, he said, ah, too bad for that kid. Uh, we won't. We won't take him. And uh, yeah. So hey, <laughs> unfortunately, hey, Michel Platini not... went on to to become. Uh, I think he won three times the Ballon d'Or. Uh, that's crazy. Yeah it's, yeah, it's not like he did that much after that. <laughs> <laughs> um, who is this sort of uh, iconic player who you know who really represents what the club is all about? I, there, there are many players, but one player I would like to talk about uh, is, uh, is Sylvain Castendutch. I don't think you've ever heard of him. No, that name passed me by. Yeah, and, tell, tell uh, me about him. And that's that's the funny thing about uh, he's still a very important figure in French football because today is the the president of the French uh, Players Association and uh, vice president of F of FIFA Pro. So the the guy. He's smart, you know, he's a, he's a smart guy, very elegant guy. He started his career at FCMS at the, at the beginning of the, the 1980s and finished his career in 2001. He played more than 500 games for FCMS 
Uh, he has more than uh, 575 games in Ligue 1. He's in the top six of the players who play the most games in the, in the, in the, in the league. He was central defender. He never got a red card. So that gives you an idea of the, the kind of defender he was. He was elegant. He was smart. He was always defending on his two feet. He was uh, never arrogant. Uh, he, w- he had 10 caps with the French national team. So, And he was our captain. He was our legendary captain. So that gives you an idea of the, the importance of that player for, for us. And his, uh, during his last season, 2000 and 2001, he was already 37. And unfortunately, he was not playing as well, uh, as good as before. And the trainer, which back then was uh, Albert Cartier, Albert Cartier was his former teammate, told him, Sylvain, I'm sorry, but I- I'm going to have to bench you. I-, I have to let you on the bench for the rest of the season. It was in January 2001. And he told him, I'm sorry, you gonna, you're going to play the rest of the season on the bench. And Sylvain said, okay, uh, but okay, I won't say anything about it, but at the end of the season, I'm going to retire. Okay. And uh, FCMS managed to, to save his spot in, in Ligue 1. And the last game of the season was again against Girondin de Bordeaux. So, as I said, FCMS managed to save his, his spot in the, in the league. So there was no real sporting state, stake for, for that game. The only thing at stake was to, to give Sylvain a proper farewell the, the stadium was full. Uh, the club decided to, to, to give uh, Sylvain his jubilee. And he would start the game. He started mm. the game. He got a, a big, uh, uh, you know, some flowers. I, I see the, the image of uh, Christophe Dugarry, who was the captain of Girondin Bordeaux, giving him the flowers, blah, blah, blah. Mm. They start the game. There is a, a ball on the left wing for Bordeaux. Jérôme Bonicel crosses the ball. Sylvain Castendach stands three meters away from the ball. He takes the ball right in his forehead, in his temple, and he, fall, he falls on the ground. And he would wake up he, he, he woke up, he woke up the following day at the hospital. And you imagine the scene. So you have your legendary captain who left the stadium on a stretcher with, uh, with a standing ovation from, from 30,000 people. And he has absolutely no recollection of that. He has absolutely no recollection of that game, of that standing ovation. And, and to me, it's the perfect symbol of FCMS. It's, at the same time, it's beautiful and it's miserable. It's, uh, you know, the gods of football, they decided that for FCMS, it will be difficult. It, everything is going to be difficult. And every, every time you think that you touch something good and something beautiful, something bad happens. And, and, and that's the history of my club. That's the history of FCMS. And, and to me, and that's why I love that club so much, because to me, it's a good symbol, a good image of life. You know, life is not, about, it's not only about good things. Life is a, is a mix of, of bad things and good things. And you have... You have to experience and to 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 yeah to experiment the the bad things in life to recognize and to yeah and to to enjoy the good things of life and that's why I love that club. I mean, you should laugh at somebody getting knocked out on a football pitch, but that is quite funny given the it's, circumstances. It's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> I and I, I don't know how many hours we have left uh, because I can give you so many other stories about this uh, FCMS bad luck and. 
for instance, just a last one. Yeah, we, let's let's same. take let's take one more story from you. Let's let's give your other favorite story from FC Metz then. Uh, it's uh, it's terrible, but it's this season. So last season, our top striker was Abib Diallo, and another product of the of the Generation Foot Academy, and he scored twelve goals in uh, in in twenty games, I think, and it was his best season. He's only twenty four years old. Everybody was uh, some Bundesliga and Premier League clubs uh, was uh, scouting him. So. If, if not for COVID, we knew that uh, Abib were, was going to be transferred to a Premier League club or a Bundesliga club uh, last summer for something like 20, 25 million euros, right? And the club had, uh, had budgeted uh, that amount, knowing that the, the replacement, the natural replacement for, for Abib Diallo, his name is Ibrahim Anyan, uh, also coming from the Generation Foot Academy, was ready and he was programmed to, to replace Abib Diallo this current season. So, but unfortunately, COVID uh, arose and uh, the transfer market was really slow. Abib Diallo didn't uh, didn't leave uh, during the summer, and but Ibrahim Anyan was uh, was the starter of the season, and he scored the first six goals of FCMS this season after six games, I think. So he was on the track, right? We, now the spot was for Ibrahim Anyan, and the very last day of the of the transfer window in October, we sell Abib Diallo to our arch rival. Strasbourg for only 10 million euros. So the, the, the fans, including me, are pissed, right? We don't understand. We don't understand. Why? Why do we sell uh, Abib Diallo to, to Strasbourg? It's just basically the same level as, uh, as Mess for only 10 million euros. So the club says, yeah, but we had no choice. Uh, we had budgeted that sell. Uh, so Basically, we had to sell him. And it says, and but don't worry, this season we have uh, Ibrahim Anyan to replace Abib Diallo, so don't worry. Two days after the sale of Abib Diallo, Ibrahim Anyan injures himself at training uh, and gets his knee, uh, do you say, tore, uh, torn. And uh, so Ibrahim Anyan will come back next April. So that gives you an idea of the bad luck of FCMS because... <laughs> Anyway, that, we had the best replacement for Ibrahima. It was, uh, 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 yeah, it was Abib Diallo, but we, we, we sold him to our arch, arch rival. Nothing like selling a, a star striker to an arch rival. I, 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 I guess you've got to have a dark sense of humor to uh, be a Mets fan. You have to. You, yeah, you have okay. to and you, you, you to, 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 to follow the, the club yes uh, in the all the dark times that we that we experience you have to get this twisted sense of humor but at the same time when things get right it's crazy the, the atmosphere at the stadium can be really crazy on uh, one end or the other we, we love our club and we love to also to make jokes about our club and, but we are the only ones <laughs> Uh, having the right or being allowed to 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 say bad things about our club, we we love them. And of course, I, and it's a nice stadium too with the wine on the pillars and 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 everything like that. It's you know, it's with the, the outside the outside of the stadium is quite nice too. When you've got like the the you know the the colors on the pillars and of the, of the stadium and everything like that. 
it's decent. They are they are, they are revamping the stadium oh, okay. uh, right now, and and we're gonna have a, a beautiful beautiful stadium in the in the seasons to come. They are they are revamping it, but uh, yeah. And if I don't know if we have time uh, left, uh, Ian, but there are also very interesting stories behind the color of the jersey okay, and let's, behind the crest. Yeah, just give us the quick give us the quick version of the color and the crest, and then we'll we'll have to leave it because some of us actually have proper work to do today. Not like you who can just uh, stand around and talk uh, about football all day. <laughs> The, the, you know, you know what's next for me. I'm going to the city hall to get married. So sorry for your. Who are you? I, 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 I have a busy afternoon as well, my friend. <laughs> are you really going to get married? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm going to. I'm going to city hall to get married. Well, that's only the second most important thing you'll do today. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, quickly. I'll then. tell my wife. The clue. I'm. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations! <laughs> okay. I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna try to, to give you the, the, the short version of the, uh, of, uh, of the, of the color and the crest of okay. FCMS. But okay, go, uh, go have you, uh, have you ever heard of the, of the First World War and the Second World War <laughs> yeah, and, the, yeah, yeah. and the tensions, I've the come, tensions between France and Germany? I've come across and, uh, it. Yeah. And uh, Hitler and the Nazis, because that, there is a there is a link with uh, with FCMS. So, nineteen thirty two, it's the, the the French Federation allows professionalism and launches the first edition of the French uh, Championship, and FCMS or Mess gets an invitation for one club in the in the championship. And back then there were two clubs. The rich and the poor kids, basically, and one with, was playing already with that uh, garnet color, the red, uh, the, the dark red, mm. what, which in French we call grenat, and the other club was playing in white. And so, for the first season in the French Championship, they decide to play with the traditional colors of uh, of the city of Metz, of Metz, which are white and black. It dates back from Middle Age, so that's that's uh, that's a serious thing, right? Uh, white and black. And they, the first seasons in the in the French uh, Championship, they play either with this garnet color of this uh, white and black uh, jersey until 1937, where there is a, a an away game in Marseille, and Messi is playing with their white and black jersey and shorts and socks, and the entire stadium, the entire crowd in Marseille is booing and insulting the FCMS players. Why? Because of course, first of all, Messi is very close to Germany. There has always been a, a German heritage uh, in Metz. Imagine it's only 20 years after the First World War. We are about we know that the war is coming is coming soon uh, with Germany again, and white and black are the colors of the German national mannschaft, right? Mm. So the, the crowd in Marseille is booing and insulting the mess players, basically calling them Germans. And in the stands, there are the, the president and the player, and basically they decide to go back to the original color of the garnet, and since then, the club never changed the, the color again. But we keep the white and black as the traditional colors for the the, the away or the third kit of, uh, of the club. And, and then, so during the Second World War, uh, you know that Metz and also Strasbourg, so Moselle and Alsace, got annexed or incorporated into the German territory. And Hitler decided that FCMS would play in the Reichsliga. The club changed its name. It became uh, FV Metz, Fußballverein Metz. 
the color changed as well. We uh, we we were playing in uh, black and blue, and after the Second World War, uh, the club was destroyed, the stadium was destroyed, it had been flooded by the by the Nazis before they left uh, uh, Metz. So we got two things from the French the Federation. The French Federation uh, gave us two gifts. The first gift was to, uh, like a joker, for two seasons not to be relegated. And we gave one of those rights to Le Havre, Le Havre AC, which is the oldest club in France. And the city of Le Havre had been completely destroyed by the, the, Allies, by the Allies and also by the Nazis during the Second World War. So we gave one right, uh, one joker to Le Havre. And since then, the clubs, the two clubs are, are, are friends, basically. And the second right is that FCMS is the only club in France to have the right, the right to wear that cross, the Lorraine cross mm. on his uh, on his crest, and it's a uh, it's one vertical bar with two horizontal bars, and it's first it's the symbol of Lorraine. So Lorraine is the region uh, the, the the region of Metz, but it's also the symbol of the French resistance during the Second World War. Uh, the General de Gaulle, when he joined London to create and mm-hmm. to lead the French resistance, he put that Lorraine cross on the French flag, basically saying that it was the symbol of the, the France, which didn't accept that uh, Lorraine and Alsace uh, were incorporated into the German territory and also never accepted that France uh, stopped fighting against the Nazis. So since 1945, we, we, are, uh, we have this, this uh, cross, the Lorraine cross on our jersey, and we are the only club in France with the right to wear that cross on our jersey. One final question for you, Thomas. Um, are you talking about Mets so much because you're trying to avoid getting married or just, it's just, <laughs> it's just, it's just a passion? <laughs> Oh my God! It's uh, it's my you know you know that famous saying that in 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 a lifetime a man can have several women but can have only one football club. Oh. And uh, but I I'm 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 a lucky man because so this afternoon I'm I'm getting married with my with my true love and I also since the my childhood uh, I have one another love it's FCMS my only mistress is FCMS. Okay. And my, my woman knows that. Yeah. Shout out to Natasha, though, wherever she is these days. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to know. I'd love yeah, to we know. Yeah, uh, we can, we, let's, say, let's say hello to Natasha, wherever she yeah, is. Wherever. I know where her father is. He's going to be on the, on the Ligue 1 bench this, uh, this weekend, but I have no idea where she is. Okay. Thanks for that, Tomas. Thanks, Jan. Talk to you soon. Okay, that's all from us today. My thanks to Joanna, Manu and Tomas. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, should you miss us, you can listen to the back catalog on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcast hit. And if you want to get in touch, the address remains the same, podcast at onefootball.com.